Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to a special short series of podcasts focused on the known Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. The people you will hear in these interviews have offered themselves up for the role of bishop. The elections will take place the first week of November in Houston, Texas, with a consecration service planned for November 5th. Each of these interviews was conducted via Zoom video conferencing during the month of October, and all seven episodes have been released at once, so you can hear all of them in short order. A couple of quick caveats before playing the recording of our conversation. First, the delegates have spent considerable time with each of the candidates at this point, so these interviews weren't really conducted for the people who will be electing bishops. The interviews were done with the idea that laity and clergy could learn just a little bit more about each of the people who have offered themselves up for the episcopacy. Second, I asked all the candidates the same questions. I didn't interject much and just let them talk. I did insert a question about where they saw hope for the denomination if they did not address that in an earlier question. So you'll notice me asking that question of some people and not of others. It simply had to do with the way they answered previous questions. Finally, as I record this intro, regular listeners will note that I have a bad cold, so I apologize for the squeaky and or gravelly voice. It was even worse during some of the interviews, so again, I apologize for the strange voice on my behalf. I think that's it. So without further delay, here's one of my seven interviews with Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction. I'm joined now by Reverend Dr. Eddie Rivera. He's the provost of the New Mexico Conference. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us on In Layman's Terms. Well, thank you, Todd, for the invitation. I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, allow me to share uh, this journey with you all. Let's just jump right in. Uh, I want to start off by having you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what you think are the key ports of your biographical information. So I was born in Mexico, uh, raised in northern Mexico, uh, more precisely uh, Chihuahua area. And uh, I was born into a clergy Methodist family. I'm fourth generation Methodist. Uh, and on both sides of my family, uh, my my dad, my mom, uh, we have Methodist people on both sides. Uh, and it, and it, it was... Uh, foundational for me to uh, have been uh, raised in, in, in that kind of environment uh, uh, back then. And, and I, I, don't know, I don't know if it's true here, but back then the parsonage was right next to the, to the church building. And so I always considered my, um, uh, the church building as my playground 
and I used use it that way all the time. And so, uh, and, and being um, a PK, just looking at my parents so engaged in ministry and, and leadership, and not only at the local level, but at district conference level and national levels, uh, that was very formational for me as well in, in my development. So I'm asking everybody to tell me a little bit about their call story. Um, uh, give us give us the condensed version of, of how you ended up in the ministry. So when I was 15 years old, we were visiting a uh, church in central Mexico, my mother's hometown. And uh, it was not a Methodist church. It was uh, kind of a charismatic uh, church. And that's, that's more or less the uh, flavor of Methodism in, in Mexico, in the northern part. So... We, we were visiting, so we sat at the very last pew as good visitors, and the, the pastor began his sermon, and then he stopped five minutes into his sermon, and he said, uh, uh, God is wanting us to pray for the ministries of our youth. So everybody began praying, and so next thing I feel is a hand on my head, and it's the pastor who has come all the way from the front to the back and, and to share a prophetic word about God calling me into the ministry. And it had to be that way, Todd, because um, my dad was right next to me. And so I had to understand that this was not the family business, that ministry was not family business or a legacy thing. And so that, that's how it happened. And, and then God began uh, opening doors towards ministry in Mexico and then in the United States. Fast forward to current day. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the United Methodist Church is in a time of, of uh, turmoil right now. So tell us, why are you willing to be considered for the Episcopacy at this time, at, in this part of the church's history? I hold an appreciation to the United Methodist Church. Uh, part of my life was lived in uh, the Methodist Church of Mexico. And those were, as I said, my formational years. Uh, when my wife and I uh, and our daughter moved to the United States, we actually uh, arrived in Southern Illinois Conference back in 1988. And that was the first time I was connected with the United Methodist Church. I was on loan uh, uh, I was still connected with the Methodist Church of Mexico and an elder of that denomination, but I was working with the United Methodist Church to establish a Hispanic ministry. And from that moment on, uh, you know, went to uh, Candler School of Theology for my master's and my doctoral work, and then ended up in Texas, uh, where I connected with a church uh, of the New Mexico Conference. And, and when I moved and transferred my membership uh, uh, to the New Mexico Conference United Methodist Church, uh, I felt I was being developed and being mentored and shaped into the leader I am now. And so there's a lot of appreciation uh, to serve in the United Methodist Church uh, at this point in time. Uh, as an Episcopal leader, if elected. Uh, For me, it is a win-win situation because uh, as a provost of the New Mexico Conference, I'm enjoying what I do and 
Uh, and so I, I will continue serving. Um, I, I don't believe God called me to be a bishop. God called me to serve God, him, um, to the best of my ability. And so uh, I'll continue to do so uh, if, I, if I'm elected or not. So, uh, and, and that's uh, more or less a part of, of the journey uh, that brought me to this decision. So obviously leadership is the key key word there, right? So tell us how you would lead the United Methodist Church going forward in this season of disaffiliation over human sexuality concerns. So so I will have to, as, as elected bishop, the first thing that will happen in January is to be very uh, attentive to the appoint, appointment process. It's going to be one of the most challenging appointive seasons uh, of our denomination. Uh, so let me start there. And uh, I would need to pay attention to our cabinet members, to the district superintendents. Uh, they, if they are emotionally or physically or spiritually exhausted, um, uh, I would need to make sure that they are um, ready for the appointment process as well. And, and so that will be one of my uh, first um, uh, at, at things that I'm gonna pay attention to. The second thing is the stewardship of the conference. Uh, the disaffiliation process uh, is bringing uh, uh, reshaping of our budget, uh, is, may bring a reshaping of the districts, uh, may, will bring a reshaping of our nominations list. And, and so I, I, I will need to pay attention to how the conference is going to be affected or impacted by the disaffiliating churches. And the, and the, the third thing is uh, I would pay attention to our missional strategy of um, making sure that the United Methodist presence continues in communities and counties where uh, we will no longer have United Methodist churches because of the disaffiliation of other churches. And so through missional strategies, we need to plant churches or house churches or um, online presence of United Methodism in those areas. Uh, and then bring a message of, of following the way of Christ. Uh, in, in this disaffiliation environment where there is this uh, polarization, we need to, uh, I believe, follow the way of Christ. You know, we need to love those who do not love us. We need to bless those who not blesses us, bless us and, and honor those who not honor us. And so uh, if, if that message is uh, accepted and embraced, I, I think it will determine how our future is gonna be. The way we manage our separation now will be uh, will determine the way uh, the future of our denomination is going to be. Uh, so that's the kind of message that I, I intend to bring as well. The issue of human sexuality has uh, certainly taken center stage in, in, in this disaffiliating process. And um, I, I have shared with the delegations uh, and in, in full transparency and honesty of who I am and, and, and why I come to this uh, opportunity of, of offering uh, my leadership to, 
to, to the Episcopacy. Uh, I have shared with them that I am uh, an evangelical Orthodox uh, who is conservative. And in this issue, I am a, um, you know, one of those labels that came out of the Commission on the Way Forward, uh, the non-compatibilist, traditionalist. Uh, but all my life uh, in the United Methodist Church, I have led from the center. I have uh, built bridges from people of, uh, with people from all different kinds of theological uh, convictions. And, and, and it is precisely out of that sense of uh, togetherness and, and, and ability to gather people from different sites uh, to, to be focused on mission and ministry and fellowship uh, out of that sense of leadership is, is that, I, uh, that I see that I can offer something at this point in time uh, to the United Methodist Church. I think we need that kind of leadership that brings people together uh, in spite of our differences. And, and, and we seek to honor those who not honor us. And you know we seek to love those who struggle to love us. Uh, so, so that's that's what I feel. Um, it was necessary for me to discern whether I could offer something at this point in time in in this environment of polarization due to the human sexuality issue in our denomination. Obviously, uh, human sexuality and disaffiliation have have just grabbed the focus. <laughs> Uh, for the denomination for quite a while now, but especially these last few years. But I want to look beyond that. What are what are some of the other issues that you see as most critical to the future of the United Methodist Church? To me, probably the, the one that um, has impacted us the most is um, uh, our tendency to, to make emphasis on, on you know, theologically speaking, on ecclesiology, rather than missiology. In other words, to put together the church first over the mission of Christ. Uh, we need to remember that the order that Christ established started at the Great Commission. That's when he uh, gave his disciples the, the, the mission that will uh, drive every effort of those disciples that it, that will turn those disciples into apostles and a few days later the church was created to advance that mission it seems like we have reversed the order it seems like uh right now what we think should be first is is the institution the church uh, the kind of structure, um, uh, the kind of plan, uh, whether a protocol is is the answer to to what the church needs to to move forward. Uh, so so plans, structures, um, concepts, all around the institution uh, has been placed before the mission of Christ. Uh, and, and so I, I, I believe we need to uh, make sure we don't forget that uh, what Christ asked us to do uh, should be 
front and center in, in everything we do. And the, the institution should be, uh, should come second. So, so we, we obviously live in a fractured society and unfortunately the church reflects that society <laughs> a little bit yes. too closely, I think. Yes. Um, what would you do as a bishop to help unify people who are going to remain in the United Methodist Church? And how have you fostered unity and mission in either your current appointment or in previous stops along your ministry journey? So uh, right now what, I, what I'm doing, and I alluded to it uh, earlier, is uh, uh, part of my portfolio of responsibilities uh, include uh, church vitality, and, and, and I resource also the new church development uh, team. And we started the conversation with them to uh, start uh, looking at places where we need to create, to uh, bring the, the presence of United Methodism uh, in those communities and counties where we're not gonna have that, um, uh, that presence anymore because of the disaffiliating churches. Uh, so, so we need to start focusing on that. Uh, 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 I, I believe that the, the, the mission of Christ is, is powerful enough to, to galvanize our attention and to really galvanize our efforts uh, of those remaining in the United Methodist Church uh, so that uh, we can uh, advance that, that mission. Um, you know, churches will continue to ask, what can we do to bring more people to the church? Uh, you know, especially after the pandemic, uh, season. Uh, I, I, I believe is is the question is is the wrong question. I believe the question is what can we do to bring more church to the people. Uh, the the church people keep saying how can we fill the pews of our sanctuaries. The question should be how can we fill the hearts of the unchurched. Um, and 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 so instead of bringing people in, we need to send people out. And it's a total reshaping of our uh, of our way of doing things and our efforts and our investment of energy and resources. So how do how do we change that mindset uh, to uh, bring people in and, and send people out instead uh, as apostles? So we need to equip, we need to train, we need to empower, we need to deploy, and we need to celebrate, especially the laity. Um, you know, the, the laity is is it is the ingredient of, of the success of, of Methodism. Uh, and, and because John was there, knew how to empower, how to deploy, how to train uh, laity. And so uh, we, we need to do this uh, in, in, in our denomination uh, moving forward. Uh, and, and once the, our laity is deployed, uh, then we need to celebrate. Uh, and, and, and the successes and, 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 and tell the stories of how we brought more church to the people rather than to bring more people to the church. You talked just briefly there about moving forward. So let's take, talk a little bit about hope. Where do you see hope uh, in the United Methodist Church going forward? Mm. You know, a few, a uh, couple of weeks ago, I went to a church conference in Albuquerque area and uh, there were five churches and the district superintendent he asked the uh, members of each church a representative which if church to uh, share about things happening in their congregations 
there was an excitement coming out of each of those who shared. And uh, it was not about how uh, attendance was increasing, which it was. And it was not about how the money, the resources were coming back to the fold. Uh, but it was about how those churches were in ministry and in witness to their communities, how they were transforming their mission fields. And that's where my hope is. Uh, I think those churches were tapping into what I call the, the spiritual DNA of Jesus. And the spiritual DNA is the resurrection power. Uh, you know, uh, Philippians, uh, uh, in, in uh, Philippians, Genesis 3.10, my Spanish is, is kicking in right here. Uh, it it uh, tells us about knowing the power of the resurrection of, of, of Christ. And, and, and I think that's, that's the hope for uh, United Methodists and moving forward. The more we tap into that DNA after this pandemic season, uh, where uh, the, the pandemic was about death. It was about physical death. It was about the death of uh, institutions. Uh, certainly uh, tried to kill the, the stability of society, the stability of the church. Uh, but the church is coming back alive uh, because we are connected to the spiritual DNA of Jesus, which is about resurrection. And so that's my hope that we keep connected to that DNA. I'd like to close each of these with uh, a dive into scripture just a little bit. So uh, just for fun here, tell me what's your favorite Bible verse and why that verse resonates with you. Jeremiah eleven twenty nine. for I know the plans I have for you, plans to not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope and to prosper you. Uh, it is a promise of God, uh, but it's not just a personal thing um, because it was a promise given to a prophet, but through the prophet to the, to the people of God. And, and, and I, I believe that uh, we need that kind of promise today right? where everything is shaky, when there's chaos all around us, when people do not know what's going to happen uh, next month, next, uh, next year. Um, we need that hope and we need that promise that God says uh, nothing will harm you. Uh, and, and my plans are plans uh, to give you a future and to give you hope. And so that's, that's why that's my favorite passage. Reverend Dr. Eddie Rivera, thank you so much for coming on to, in layman's terms with me. And, and thank you for offering yourself up for such an important role in this time in the history of the church. Thank you, Todd. Blessings to you. You've been listening to one of seven brief interviews with Episcopal candidates in the South Central jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. I hope these talks give you some insight into the people who will serve as bishops, if elected, at the South Central Jurisdictional Conference the first week of November. And if one of these people turns out to be your new bishop, now you will have at least a little insight into their call stories and a little more information about how they intend to lead your annual conference.
in Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.